Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host. Today's a big day. Dogpile is uh, somewhere on Highway 82 right now, headed to Starkville. Uh, then some books are going to be transferred to Jackson. I got to go down there and spend the weekend signing those, but uh, we will have some book signings. And I'm posting those on social media kind of in advance, and uh, it's already been being promoted by some other people. But uh, at long last, Dogpile is a real thing. And it's been one of these labors of love for me. Like, I, I always wanted to write this book. I always hoped we win an AFL championship, and I wanted to be able to document the journey for future generations. And uh, you guys have been so awesome to me over the years. I can't begin to say thank you enough. I really can't. And, uh, you know, I'm, listen, here's the deal. And I was just talking to, you know, my best friend from back home. His birthday was yesterday. So shout out to Ernie Turner. Uh, we grew up together. Broke as the Ten Commandments in many respects. Uh, he more so than me. And, uh, you know, I think about those things all the time. You know, it's like, you know, I think about some of the risks that I've taken in life as a young person and, and uh, really put myself in harm's way. And now here we are, you know, book number five, guaranteed to be, the best-selling book in the state of Mississippi, and we've already sold thousands of books and uh, thousands of orders, and uh, there's a real possibility that we're going to run out of books before the second printing arrives. You know, all these supply chain issues and things like that, I mean, it's like people are like, you know, hey, we want to get, you know, so many thousand books. Well, we can do half of that now, and then we'll do half later, and then we'll do this. And so the, there's a lot of urgency with the book, and, uh, you know, it's, it's incredible to think that there's so many people that – you know, want to sit and visit with me for a few minutes and talk Mississippi State Athletics. And uh, it means an awful lot to me. It really does. And uh, I get emotional about those things sometimes. I, you know, there are sometimes I'll be like at a red light or something, and I'll think, is this really my life? You know, I mean, is this really, after all the things that I've been through and the, the things that I've overcome, you know, it, it's really a success story about the recovery community in many respects. And I'll take a lot of credit for that too. I won't take all the credit, but I'll take a lot. You know, God provided me with a second chance, and I took full advantage. And and now here we are, and uh, I get to live my dream. And when I moved to Starkville, and I remember I got, you know, my first media sessions, that sort of stuff. You start going to that stuff, and it's like, oh, I get to interview, you know, Dak Prescott and Dan Mullen whenever I want to, and they don't even ask me for an ID when I go to a baseball game. And, you know, I just think to myself, you know, it's like I'm, I'm living my dream. This is what I always wanted to do. Well, I mean, I wanted to be a rock star, and that didn't work out. But, uh, you yeah, know, but here I am. And I, I'm never going to go cover the Miami Heat or, the, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies. I, I don't have any aspirations to do those things. I mean, I, I get the opportunity to cover, you know, the greatest university in the world's athletic department. And um, that is something that I never take for granted. And I say all the time, so many respects, we kind of cover Mississippi State on Mississippi State's terms. And, you know, I always want to be a partner to the university as we can. I, I don't like being hypercritical. I'll tell you the truth. If I don't like something, I'll tell you, you know. If we're not playing well, I'll tell you. But I'm supportive of the university, and I'm supportive of all you guys because I am for Mississippi State, and I am for everybody else that is for Mississippi State. And so when I sat down to begin to write this book about the NAFL championship, I mean, I, I did a lot of soul searching and some praying. I was like, you know, this is, this is the book in many respects that people have been waiting their entire lifetime to read. And while we all experience that, it'll be nice to have all of that, you know, those quotes, those things on how, as they unfolded. And, and I think it's important to a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. And I'm just so honored and privileged to, uh, to have been able to write this book. And 
I can't wait to hold it in my hands. And I'll tell you what's funny. It's, and it's the longest book I've ever written. So, you know, it's a couple of hours more than usual. Um, we got color pictures. I had some people in the flag department that reached out. I said, hey, you really, are you really writing this book? I said, yeah, I'm really writing this book. I've been preparing for it forever. But, yeah, I'm going to write this book. And they said, we're going to have color pictures. Do you want color pictures? Well, yeah, yeah, okay, so we'll get color pictures. So it's going to be, you know, color pictures, uh, behind-the-scenes interviews, you know, a lot of things. I kept every interview that I did the entire year, every interview from start to finish, from Arlington, Texas to Omaha, Nebraska. I kept every single interview and used a lot of those quotes and then had a chance to go back after the fact and interview a few other people interview them about what it all means to all of us and uh, wanted to do some other things. Like I, I wanted to kind of have like a fan chapter, but the book was so substantial. We just couldn't do it. We just couldn't fit all that stuff in. And, and uh, you know, I hate that. I really do. But uh, at the end of the day, it's our collective story. It's our collective experience. And uh, I can't wait for you guys to read this book. I absolutely can't. And uh, there are times, listen, I kept hearing about delays, and I'd get an update from the publisher, and it's like, oh, we're hopeful we're going to be able to do this, and then things don't work out. And, you know, there's some real problems in our country right now with the supply chain, and uh, I know some of that's a global problem as well, but, you know, a lot of it is tied back to a lack of work ethic within our country. And uh, I think we've learned a lot about ourselves as a nation in the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, one of the things, too, I want to change gears a little bit, kind of along those lines, though. One of the things that I, I think we need to do is normalize being nice to people that show up for work. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, you go through the drive-thru and, and it's, a, it's long and there's a delay. Well, it's not the fault of those people that came to work. It's the fault of the people that quit. It's the fault of people that didn't come to work. I mean, I, sometimes I'll go to a local restaurant or whatever and it's like, oh, we're closed today for lack of staffing. Well, it's not those people's fault that um, got up and got dressed up and came to work. It's the fault of those that didn't want to. And so... At the end of the day, you know, I've been personally impacted by that in a, in a much grander scale with this book. You know, and I could give you the, the full details behind this national paper shortage as I could as it was relayed to me. But, you know, the more people that I talk to, it's like, hey, this is happening for us. This is happening. For, you go in some stores and there's barely anything on the shelves. And, and you think, well, this is something that's happening somewhere else. No, it's happening right here. And there are a lot of people out there working hard, doing a great job, probably doing more than they ever have to try to keep the country running. And so my hat's off to those folks. So everybody that gets up and turns up for work, thank you. Thank, whether, I, whether I solicit your business or not, thank you for your part in all of this. And, um, you know, we got some more books on the way. It'll probably be a couple months before they get here, uh, probably closer to three, probably be May before we get more books. And so in the event that you have waited and you don't buy a book here in the next few weeks. If for some reason, if it runs out and we sell out, just be prepared. More is on the way. And then you know what? We're going to keep printing them, and we're going to keep printing them, and we're going to keep printing them, and we're going to keep printing them. We're going to make sure that everybody that wants a copy of Dogpile is going to get a copy of Dogpile. You're going to have the ability to purchase that. Yeah, everybody's excited, as you can tell. So here's the deal. By the time you guys are listening to the show, I'll be with the books. They're going to be offloaded here probably in the next hour. And uh, I want to thank Colton and his buddies for, for helping everybody else get those things handled. Uh, a lot of people involved in this process to ensure that these books get to, get to market that don't get a lot of thank yous. And so allow me to do that now. You know, Paul T. Brown and the full crew there do a great job. And 
there are a lot of people involved, man, that um, that played a part in this, that their names are not on the book. You know, it's my name on the book, and so I take a lot of the criticism and the credit for it. But there are a lot of other people out there that are kind of behind the scenes that you would never know that do some amazing things to make me look good even when maybe I'm not. And, uh, and I appreciate them. And, uh, you know, this writing process was, has been much different than anything else that I've written because of the deadlines. You know, it's like we wanted to get it done in time for Christmas. I did my part. The publisher did their part, and it didn't work out the way we had hoped. But now it here, it's here, and uh, you'll, you guys will have a chance to read it before Mississippi State takes the field again. So that's kind of a cool thing, too. You know, I think it's a good transition into college baseball season. But one of the things that I have learned through this whole process is that you can do the best you can, and you don't always get the best outcome because other people don't do their, their part of it. And uh, a lot of times they're held hostage by the fact that they don't have uh, you know, the work staff to get it done. And it's easy to get mad about that and try to find somebody to blame, but the reality of it is is all we can do is our part. And you can hold people accountable as best you can, but the reality of it is is getting mad about it doesn't really change anything. And I'm, Something my grandmother used to say, you can get glad in the same pair of pants you got mad in. And so I've just been very grateful, and I knew this day at some point would come, even though it it seemed really long at times. You know, it's like, oh, you know, it's going to be the, the push it back and push it back and push it back, and it just it drives you crazy. But the reality of it is, is now they're here. You know, now they're here. It's a big day. It's a big day for me. I think it's a big day for Mississippi State College baseball fans, and uh, look forward to you guys having this. And so many of you – reached out after I read the intro on the Boneyard on Wednesday. You read the intro to the book to you guys, and people are like, hey, Steve, can you read us some more? Well, no. <laughs> no, not going to do that yet. But, um, you know, I've considered, you know, some of that in the past, you know, when things get a little bit slack and maybe we get into uh, sometimes we don't have as much stuff going on. You know, maybe we'll have story time with Steve on the show. Uh, maybe I'll read some excerpts from some of the books uh, maybe that you're unfamiliar with, and I'll give you, you know, kind of some uh, – Maybe some behind-the-scenes stuff. Maybe some editor's notes or some things like that. Some Perhaps some details that didn't make the book. But I was exhaustive in my writing approach to Dogpile. Probably made a mistake or two. I don't think so. But you never know. You never know. It's like you, you, you go through it over and over and over again. And it's kind of like, um, you know, when you're in your house and everything. And, like, you think, hey, I need to put that up. And then eventually it kind of becomes part of the scenery. It's like it, the more times that you read and edit something – you know, when you don't have fresh eyes, you kind of begin to assume things are true. And so I went back and did, you know, tremendous amount of fact-checking to ensure I had it right. But you know what? My best efforts, I still may have made a mistake. So please don't judge me too harshly if I did. Again, I don't think we've got anything in there. But if we do, shoot me an email, let me know, and we'll uh, we'll research it, make sure who's right, and, and we'll fix it in subsequent printings. But I believe this is going to be a book, too. Like with Flim Flam, a lot of people bought it and then passed it around. You know, I think this is a book that you're going to want to hang on to. I don't think you're going to want to buy this and then let it leave your possession. I think this is something that you'll always want to keep on the bookshelf. And then years from now, you'll think, you remember we won an AFL championship? Yeah, well, I just happened to have the story. And I did my best to, uh, to quote every player. Didn't get everybody because there were some people that we never got from media and I didn't have access to. But, um, you know, there were a lot of players in there that uh, weren't – you know, your headliners, you know, guys like Drew McGowan, guys like Braywin Skinner, they're quoted in the book because of the, the roles they played in certain ball games. And that's the great thing about this team is we talk about Rowdy and T.A. all the time, and there's the iconic picture that, uh, 
you know, the Hell State video group put out of uh, those two guys walking off the field after a Super Regional win over Notre Dame. And it's like, that's okay. Well, that's guys kind of define the team. But the best thing about this team is it was a different hero every night. I mean, you can run through the roster and you can find a big moment. I mean, who would have thought in a million years that the name Tanner Leggett would live in infamy? uh, Not infamy, but in, um, you know, Tanner Leggett would be a legendary name for us. That's a name you're always going to remember. And like, I mean, think about Gene Morgan, right? I mean, like if you, even though if you weren't alive back then or you watched those games, you remember the name Gene Morgan because of the moment against Texas, right? Where he's hitting the ankle with line drive. And sadly, that's the memory people have of Gene, despite the fact that he was one of the best starting pitchers in the Southeastern Conference, if not the country. But Tanner Leggett, that's the name. Tanner Leggett, one of the biggest hits in the history of Mississippi State baseball, the hit that sends us to the NAFL Championship Series. And so he's quoted. Braylon Skinner hit that monstrous home run at LSU. He's quoted. Drew McGowan, obviously a guy that had some big hits for us earlier in the year. He's quoted. You know, Houston Harding. I mean, I did my best to get everybody in there. And there is one exhaustive chapter that I want to share with you. I'm not going to read it to you today. But there is one chapter that I did a ton of fact-checking. And basically, it's the history of Mississippi State baseball in a chapter. It's our, we start in our infancy in the 1800s, and we go up through the Paul Gregory era. That's chapter one. And then we pick up with Ron Polk. I had a chance to sit down with Coach Polk, talk about everything, about how he got to Mississippi State. And there are some things about Ron Polk that you probably don't know that are included in that book. I learned a lot from talking to Polk. I've shared with you guys this before. Maybe you've forgotten. Ron Polk almost didn't take the job. How about that? He talks about that at length. But he almost didn't take the job, and he explains why. Can you begin to imagine where we would be today as a college baseball program? And we talk about the, you know, the butterfly effect, like little things that happen. Well, you know, if, uh, if Ron Polk doesn't take the job, you know, then guys like Rafael Palmeira and Will Clark don't come to Mississippi State. You know, guys like Jody Hurst and Bobby Reed, they don't come to Mississippi State. You know, John Cohen doesn't come to Mississippi State. And of course, John's not your athletic director. Well, then John's not your AD, then chances are Chris Limonis doesn't get hired. You know, so there are all these things you look back in hindsight, these huge moments that at the time seemed like a big deal but proved to be an even bigger deal. When you look at the pathology of our program, you look at our legacy, and a lot of it goes back to us hiring Ron Polk. You know, a guy that was totally obsessed with college baseball, totally obsessed with getting better. Totally obsessed with making Mississippi State a national contender. Uh, one of the first guys to ever really recruit nationally in college baseball. You know, he goes up and gets Bruce Castori out of New York and goes and gets Mark Gillespie out of Omaha, Nebraska. You know, people like that. And, and I've interviewed both of those guys. Both of those guys are in Alpha Dogs. You know, and those are the things that I think about. It's like, you know, we look back and we, I don't think that we fully appreciate how innovative Mississippi State baseball has been and the impact that Mississippi State has had on the game of college baseball. Even before the national championship, there were things that we did and commitments that our administration made to college baseball that was really the forerunners for what we enjoy today. And, and, I, and I, have, I have a lot of respect for LSU baseball fans, more so than the football fans. They're a little less obnoxious, I guess. Love the people from Baton Rouge. I lived there a long time. Made a lot of friends down there. I had so many of the old-timers, the guys that uh, they were LSU baseball fans prior to Skip Bertman that always wanted LSU to be something special, and it wasn't. 
they owe a lot to Mississippi State and Ron Polk. And they admit that. The ones, I mean, this, this new generation of LSU fans, they have no idea about the history of their baseball program. And I talk about that also in Dogpile. I interviewed Ben McDonald, um, you know, for an article earlier this year. Quoted him some in the book, too. Matter of fact, Ben is blurbed on the back cover of the book. But we talked about that, you know, how Skip changed things. And, of course, the relationship between Polk and Skip that actually goes back, you know, decades. But to hear the LSU old-timers say, they said, hey, you guys – you guys at Mississippi State, you guys are the godfathers of SEC baseball. And in many respects, the godfathers of college baseball. And so when we walk around and we have our chest puffed up a little bit about college baseball, it's not just because of the fact that we've won the NFL championship. We were a team that was – we were a program and a university that was committed to college baseball long before other people were because there was a vision in place. People understood, hey, we're good at baseball. We're good for around here. And then we kind of begin to expand, and of course we joined the SEC and you know, the infancy of the SEC, you know, the, the Southern Intercollegiate Athletics Conference. And we figured, you know, we're not just good for around here, we're, we're, we're pretty good regionally. And then we get a chance to go play on a national stage and we figure out, you know what, hey, we can make a go of this thing, we can be a national power, and we are a national power. And I know some of our self-loathing fans didn't really accept that until we won the NAFL championship, but we have. And now we never have to hear about that crap ever again. We never, ever, ever, ever have to hear about, well, State can't win the big one because we have, and we're not done. This is just our first national championship, not our only national championship. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, national champs in their own right. Great restaurant-quality hamburgers for sure. And I love the place. I love the atmosphere. I love the pricing. I love the portions. I love the people. Uh, I love the fact that I can go in there and get more for my money. A lot of people out there, they're cutting back on you. They're charging the same price and cutting back on the portions. Not the case at Bulldog Burger Company. You're going to get more than you pay for, and the quality of the meal is outstanding. Have the spring rolls for your appetizer. You'll be glad you did. It'll make you and everybody around you better looking. It's science. Trust the science, as they say. It's just a scientific fact. The spring rolls make you better looking. How do you think I've been able to, uh, you know, to maintain this youthful appearance? I have the spring rolls. On top of that, too, you can have the BLT salad. You get it fried or frilled. I, do, I did it again. I did it again. Fried or grilled. Maybe that becomes a thing. I don't know. Um, but the reality of it is, is they have something for everybody there at Bulldog Burger Company. Maybe you're not feeling like a hamburger, but you can go have the wings. You can have those sloppy joe sliders. You can have the sweet heat chicken sandwich. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Start Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo and the brand new one. Not really so brand new anymore. It's just kind of like new and awesome. Right there at Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Go by and tell Ian Few that I said hello. Say, hey, Steve Robertson sent us down here. want to thank you guys for being here in our neck of the woods. You'll be glad you did. A great quality meal at a great price. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. And get it grider frilled. How about that? All right, so let's talk a little about women's hoops. I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, Mississippi State women's basketball has won three games in a row. Now, many people felt like, hey, the season is over. Uh, you know, Rakia Jackson leaves the program, and uh, we're not going to spend time discussing that. We've, that's, that's been beat to death, right? The story in the headline is the players that remain, that have done a great job, they're playing hard, and they've won three in a row. And we talked about it on Wednesday 
We knew that Auburn would bring a great effort. We knew that Johnny Harris would bring a great effort. He would that she would have the team ready to play, and uh, and they did. And uh, it was a, it was a, a ball game for sure. It went down to the final minutes, and uh, we had a big scare early in the ball game with Maya Taylor going down. I remember when Robbie Falk tweeted that out that she was down. It's like, oh, are you kidding me? It's like, what in the world are we going to do? We just lost to Nate Carter for the year. And Maya Taylor, who is the, the heartbeat of this team, now she's down, but she comes right back and she plays. An outstanding effort. Mississippi State wins 70-65. to 65, And it's like you look at the, the, the scoring here. State has a three-point lead after one. And then we give up a couple of those points in, in, in the second quarter. We outscored 17-15. But you've got a, a, slow, a small lead there at the half. And we come out the third quarter, and that's – in women's basketball, the third quarter, more times than not, is the defining quarter. You come out, you make your halftime adjustments, and you attack based on what you learned in the first half. And State earns a nine-point advantage in that quarter, 26-17, which kind of set things up late. And, uh, you know, Auburn hung in there for a little while late. But uh, State finds a way to kind of get some separation and kind of overcome the late charge there. But, you know, again, a, a, a great ball game. Uh, Auburn, not a great team, but we know this was a priority game for Johnny Harris. You know, a lot of people wanted her to be the head coach at Mississippi State. She's not. We, again, wish her the best. She's a fantastic person. We really do wish her the best. And it's probably going to take her a little time. Hopefully, they'll be patient with her at Auburn. But uh, now 9-12 and 12 overall and just 1-9 and nine in the SEC. And then, of course, the win is Tennessee. You kidding me? State now 14-7 and seven overall and 5-4 and four in the SEC. Let's run down the numbers here real quick. Anastasia Hayes goes all 40 minutes, 8 of 15 from the floor, 10 of 11 from the free throw line. And how big was that late? In a close ball game, incredible. Nine rebounds for her, seven turnovers. That's got to get better. 26 points, and that's really kind of an aberration. She's not one that's you know, kind of foolhardy with the basketball, just had a tough night in that respect. But 26 points. Uh, for Anastasia Hayes, and a lot of people wondered how good she was going to be when she got here. She's been outstanding. The 26 points is the leads all scorers. Uh, Jerkelia Jordan, again, rounding back in the form, 36 minutes, shoots 50% from the floor, also knocks down four out of six free throws, a couple threes in there as well. 18 points on the night for her. Maya Taylor, everybody loves her. How, how can you not love Maya Taylor? She is outstanding and uh, could have gone anywhere in the country, chose to come here and be a part of our program. And rather than hit the portal, she has stayed and been true maroon. I love her, and I think that uh, she deserves to be, in many respects, held in the same regard as many of those players that were on those uh, national championship runner-up teams. She has proven to be a true bulldog. Uh, 30 minutes for her, and of course she got banged up a little bit and came back and played. Knocked down one three. Three of five from the floor, five rebounds, six turnovers, three assists, and give Auburn some credit for forcing some turnovers. Eight points for her and also a pair of steals. Uh, Charlotte Cole, 20 minutes of action, uh, two points for her. And then Katarian Thompson, not nearly as prolific this time from three. And that's the thing, too, is people have seen film now and they're like, hey, we're not going to let her beat us. Uh, Ree, 0 of 2 from the floor, misses the only three-point attempt. Didn't score a basket, but put in 29 minutes of effort. Didn't fill up the box score. And that's going to be, you know, now that people have seen, hey, this is what they're going to do offensively, she's going to get a lot more attention. And we saw that last night. Uh, Aislinn Hayes pitches in nine points. Uh, Ashley Jones, five. And then uh, Raven Farley, 
for the basket. 20 minutes of action. Again, kind of rounding her back into shape. And so when you look at you know how the lady shot it, 51.1% from the floor. That'll usually get it done. When you're shooting you know, plus 50 women's basketball, you got a good chance to win a ball game. 53.8% from three. Uh, seven of 13 is a team. Seven of 13. Aislinn Hayes, three of three. Outstanding effort there for her. Uh, free throw shooting, 63%. Got to get a little better there. Got to be a little bit better there. Uh, on the Auburn side, we held them at just over 40% shooting, and they were 15.4% from beyond the arc, just two of 13, and they're 52%. So if you look at every single matrix uh, on the offensive side, State's done well. What's incredible to me, though, is that Auburn out-rebounded Mississippi State, you know, plus five for them, 39-34. We turned over 18 times, they turned over 14. So defensively, they got the better of us. We were better than them offensively, but defensively they did a little bit, a little bit better job. Um, and it's the thing you look at, too, is like in many respects, you know, and I, and I don't say this in any way to be disrespectful of Johnny Harris, but you know this was kind of their Super Bowl. If they're bought into her and bought into the, to the direction of their program, you know they wanted to go out and play well for her. And she is a person that inspires confidence. I mean, she again, she's a great person. Uh, so you know they wanted to go out and get a win for their coach, and, and they really beat us up in the paint. 42 points to our 26. Uh, and then, you know, points for turnovers is basically a wash for everybody. Second chance points, they get us there. Fast break points, they get us there. Uh, bench points, we beat them by two. But the reality of it is, is Mississippi State has won three in a row. When many of us kind of left them dead and buried, like, oh, I don't know, it's going to work out here. You know, kind of looking back at this fourth quarter here, you know, State got up by as many as 12 uh, with just under eight minutes to go, 58-46, and you think we're going to run away with it. But uh, to give Auburn's credit, they hang in there. They hang in there, and they cut it to five, just under five minutes to play, got it down to three uh, after a honest Grayson Scott or Scott Grayson uh, basket, 59-56. And from there, it got really interesting late. We're up two, 61-59 at 241, and that's really as close as it got down the stretch. Then State – you know, begins to kind of make their free throws and kind of put this game away. Big block by Raven Farley late in that thing, too, uh, that allowed Anastasia Hayes to pull down a rebound. Uh, you know, that was when it was a six-point ball game, and so every possession matters. You get a defensive stop there, and then with a minute and four to play, Ashley Jones knocks down a pair of free throws to make it 67-60. That's almost an uns- unsurmountable deficit to overcome. Uh, I, guess we, I guess we were up eight, actually, at uh, 57. And then it swells to 10 with 30 seconds to go. Anastasia Hayes steps up and knocks down a pair. And uh, they knock down a three. Zaria Wiggins, a name that you guys should know, hit, hits a three. And, uh, again, wish her the best, too. I don't harbor any ill will towards these players that leave. I, I just don't. I mean, I understand how life works. And it is a disappointment, you know, to the program. You know, you hate it. Because, you know, you get used to players and their skill set, and you begin to think, hey, this is a good thing for us. And then they move on. And, uh, you know, you got to get familiar with somebody else. you got to bring somebody in. Continuity is what bring, what builds championships. Okay, so, again, Bulldogs now 14-7, and seven, have won three in a row, 10-2 and two at home. And three and four away, that's interesting. I mean, right, because, you know, we've had some, some road games that have not been good. You know, we got shelled at uh, Arkansas. We played pretty well at South Carolina. But we have proven to be a pretty tough out no matter who we play or where we play. And, again, that is, uh, that's Doug Novak, and that's his staff. It had been very easy to just mail this thing in and get your agent working for you and get another job. You absolutely could do that. He didn't. 
Mississippi State back in action next Thursday. No weekend game for the ladies. They'll get a chance to rest and kind of get their legs back under them. And we're a little bit beat up. I mean, you know, this will give a chance for Maya uh, to kind of get some, some rehab and make sure she's good to go. Florida, 530 Thursday in Humphrey Coliseum. And uh, two home games next week, of course. The big one, Ole Miss, in here next Sunday. That's a big game. And so you be, we talked about this when we beat Missouri. I said, you know, you got a chance to go on a run here and uh, put some semblance of a season together. And now Mississippi State on the bubble of the women's NCAA tournament. If that happened, it would be absolutely remarkable. And, again, some winnable games, but also some difficult games ahead of us. Uh, looking at the SEC women's basketball standings, this is, this is again, there's a lot of parity in the league once you, you know, get through the first three or four teams. And, again, Ole Miss, the women, their women are playing well. Uh, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They have, uh, you know, taken some time and – Given Coach Yo the, the 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 rain to do what she wants to do, and uh, they're playing well. There is there's no other way to say it. I mean, anybody that would say otherwise is just being a homer. And and contrary to popular belief, I'm not. I want to see Mississippi State do well, but I'm not blind to the truth. Uh, South Carolina, of course, still number one, nine and one in the conference, and 21 and one overall. They're lost to Missouri, a team Mississippi State beat. Everybody's in for a bad night every now and again. Tennessee, eight and two. Uh, 19 and three, they lose last night to Florida of all places. Ole Miss now tied for third with LSU and Georgia at six and three in the league. Florida also uh, right there with them, six and three, so it's a four-way tie for third place. And then right behind them is Mississippi State. So we're right there in the meaty part of the curve, right? And we're on the, the positive side of this thing. Uh, the the last team with a winning in-conference record, and so we're in the top half of the league. Missouri five and five, Arkansas four and five. Vanderbilt three and six, Kentucky two and six, A and M two and seven, Alabama two and eight, and Auburn there one and nine. And so you got a chance to get a pretty good seed in the SEC tournament. And uh, we're not going to run through the schedule again. We've done that recently. But uh, next week's a big week. It's a big week for for Doug Novak and Mississippi State. Uh, you know, women's basketball. There's no there's no question about it. It's going to be a real opportunity. Um, going to be a real opportunity for us this next week to kind of prove if we're for real or not. For, for real or not. If you get a split, I think you're kind of happy with that. But if you can find a way to win them both, I think that that changes the trajectory of a lot of things with this season. And a lot of people continue to ask, is Steve, is Doug Novak a candidate? And yeah, I, I continue to hear that he's really not. But you begin to ask yourself if he has interest in the job because the team is clearly responding to him, you know, maybe he gets an interview. And in many respects, it's kind of an audition for the job. I know that there are a lot of fans because you guys message me and say, man, I wish Doug Novak was a candidate for the job. I don't know that he wants the job. He may. I don't know that. I really don't. But here's what I'll say is we'll look back years from now, and Doug Novak and uh, the ladies on that staff have done a tremendous job under some very difficult circumstances. And who would have thought – you know, here we'd be this late in the season after having you know some of the, the issues that we've had, injuries and some departures, and you know you're 14 and seven and you've got a winning record in the league, and you're on a chance you got a chance to get to the NCAA tournament. It's a pretty impressive job, and if nothing else, even if Doug Novak doesn't stay here, Doug Novak has helped I think his standing as an offensive-minded coach. Uh, and I, I hear he may go back to the men's side. You know, we'll see how things progress, but. Uh, reality of it is we owe a debt of gratitude to Doug Novak whether he you know gets a job or not the guy has done an outstanding job uh, you know kind of helping 
right the ship a little bit. And I think it also shows, you know, to potential candidates out there that we've got, uh, you know, we still got a program that it wasn't just Vic Schaefer, that we have, you know, a fan base and an administration that is committed to women's basketball success. So hopefully that helps us uh, because there is good culture here. I mean, there really is at Mississippi State. There are times that, we, you know, we get some bad actors in some sports and eventually the culture itself kind of spits them out. You know, it's just kind of how life works. But the reality of it is is three in a row and now five and four in the SEC. And so I share that with you because I'm, I'm both proud of the result, but I'm also proud of the effort. Because I just think to myself, how many people under those circumstances would have been like, you know what, it's just not our year. Let's go find another job. But they hadn't done that. They hadn't done that. So, again, uh, thank you to Doug and everybody involved with Mississippi State women's basketball. All right, let's thank our good friend Blair Chandler. I uh, traded some messages with Blair yesterday. Uh, Blair apparently uh, wants to have lunch with me soon, and I guess we'll do that. Uh, Blair's a good friend. Think a lot of Blair. And there's a reason for that, too. Blair is a guy that uh, is a person of integrity. Blair's a guy that gets things done. You know, we talk about running with the winners, and that's kind of what you do around Blair. Blair's a winner in his chosen profession. Guy's been in the mortgage industry for 21 years. Top 1% close ratio in the country, works for Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction and mortgage lending. So you got the best guy with the best company, and it just happens to be Bulldog. So use that relationship to help yourself. Because if you listen to this show and you mention to Blair, hey, I listen to you on the boneyard. Steve Robertson talks about you on the boneyard. I'm messaging you because of Steve. Well, he's going to pay for your appraisal. That's about a five dollars to $600 value. Visit him on the World Wide Web at closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R, closewithblair.com. And Blair gets taken care of. Maybe you're a person that's kind of got a little overextended when it's come to installment debt. Maybe the revolving debt of credit cards is kind of crushing. You think, you know, I'm never going to get this stuff paid off. Well, that's not true. If you're a homeowner, you can get your equity working for you. Much better interest rate on your debt. Consolidate that, lower your overall monthly payments, and give yourself a little breathing room month to month. Maybe you're looking to buy a home. Maybe you've had the dream of home ownership, but it's always remained elusive. Blair's a guy that can work with some atypical borrowers. A lot of people out there think, you know what, it's never going to work for me because my, you know, John Q. Citizen Bank couldn't get my loan approved. Well, you know, deal with a mortgage expert. Deal with somebody that maybe has seen it all and done it all, a guy like Blair Chandler. I'm going to give you Blair's phone number. You can visit him at the website, closewithblair.com, but also you can call or text him on his personal text line and phone number. 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. Down for today's top 10 list. I told you guys we're probably going to do some legendary rap today. We are. We are. Got a lot of ideas. As a matter of fact, we've already got next week uh, mapped out. I haven't shared that with Roy yet, but we have. Getting a lot of good lists lately. A lot of people said, hey, Steve, what about this? What about that? So, Rodney, this is for you. Appreciate this. This was actually sent to me weeks ago and uh, i recently kind of got on a clip uh, a clip of listening to this this group and uh you know i've got a you know, i got a kid that's still at home with me and uh, he has very versatile music interest and um so i've turned him on to this band and what's interesting too is uh, my national championship speech and debate daughter mia robertson that's right that's right it's my daughter yeah that's right national champion mia robertson out of the blue here a while back, she texted me. She said, why did you never tell me about the Wu-Tang Clan? 
Wow. You never asked. And so I turn my kids on to a lot of music, and I kind of give them the stories behind some of the songs and things that I know. And uh, one of the things that I love about the Wu-Tang is, uh, number one, Wu-Tang in and of itself, the name is great. It's very memorable. The logo is great. There's great branding. But they're really unlike other rap groups in the genre. There are a lot of people out there that are kind of silly. Now, this is the Wu-Tang tree. There's going to be some Wu-Tang Clan songs on this. And there's going to be like some solo performances from some of the members of the Wu-Tang Clan. And there are a lot of people that are kind of like Wu-Tang fans because they're kind of a cultural phenomenon. People are like, well, I see that everywhere. I don't listen to any of the songs, but I think it's cool. It's kind of like people are with Nirvana. It's like you couldn't tell me three Nirvana songs, but they're your favorite band. But whatever, whatever, live your life. But here are my ten favorite songs. And listen, I'm going to go ahead and give you the parental advisory here. This is a list that uh, you may not want to listen to in front of your kids. Just letting you know, full disclosure. So here's the top ten. And again, these are some solo stuff, but this is all in the Wu-Tang family. Number ten, I went with Ice Cream from Raekwon. And uh, you guys are familiar with Raekwon. And uh, that's the thing about the Wu-Tang Clan. There are so many people involved in this thing. I mean, it's like an army of people, of very talented people. And I think Raekwon sometimes is a little underappreciated. Number nine, it's Wu-Tang forever. That's become a catchphrase in many respects. And, uh, you know, again, the thing about the Wu-Tang Clan is they weren't as irreverent as maybe some other people, but they spoke about things that really mattered in in some respects. They're not not necessarily like public enemy. They're not that politically conscious in many respects, but they talk about real-life stuff. And I think that's one of the reasons that people fully respect them is because there is some authenticity to what they do and say. Number eight is Triumph, Song of Empowerment, many respects. Number seven, one of, the, our, one of our other solo songs is uh, we're going ODB. I'm not going to say it because this is a family show, but it's Got Your Money. We could have gone Shimmy Shimmy Y'all, but I went with Got Your Money. That, that's the one I think everybody in some respects has probably sampled that a little bit. Everybody's talked about that one. And uh, ODB is a little different. His delivery is a little different, but his antics are legendary. Number six, the mystery of chess, chess boxing. That's, an, that's, that's a Wu-Tang Clan track. I think you'll enjoy that one. Number five, and this is one that uh, has kind of got a long introduction, and it's a little different. You know, the beat's a little different. The track is a little different. It's a little unique, but it's Bring to Ruckus. I like that one a lot, too. And that one's kind of an acquired taste. I mean, there's some songs you put on, like, right out of the gate. The, you know, the track kind of gets you and pulls you in. This one's a little different. It's a little different. Number four, some people believe this is the greatest Wu-Tang Clan song, and it may be. It may be. It's not number one for me. It's number four. But it's Protect Your Neck. And I remember when this song dropped, it's like everybody would say that. It became like a catchphrase. And people had shirts, and people had bumper stickers. And, you know, it's like... All of a sudden, it became this, you know, this cultural thing where people are like, everybody talked about it. You got to protect your neck. Number three. Now, I know that I'm going to get some emails about this because I mentioned this before. When we talked about Redman. So Redman is not officially a member of the Wu-Tang Clan. And I guess as RZA said that, hey, you know, Redman is kind of like our, the cousin of Wu-Tang. And so I'm including this song in the tree because Redman does a lot of feature spots with uh, 
with Method Man, there's a lot of stuff with the Wu-Tang Clan. There's probably half a dozen or more songs that feature Red Man. And so while he's not officially in the club, he is a member of the family. And so we're going time for some action by Red Man. And you remember, remember if you watched uh, Mike Tyson and his comeback, he used this song a lot as his walkout. So it'll sound familiar. Number two, another Mike Tyson walkout. Method Man, in my estimation, is one of the greatest rappers alive and one of the greatest rappers of all time. He is unlike anybody else in many respects. His delivery, his vocabulary, his ability to enunciate and sometimes bend words and phrases to make them fit is legendary. I think he is an absolute genius. I love the smooth delivery. It's almost like he's sitting there... uh, you know, smoking a cigar, and like in between pulls, he's uh, dropping a verse. I love Method Man, and uh, I love when, when if people want me to listen to their stuff, and I see that, oh, it's featuring Method Man, I'm more, I'm more likely to listen to it. I would venture to say, when you look at the totality of rap that began, you know, and when I was a young man too, probably in middle school, you know, when Run DMC and KRS-One and Curtis Blow and uh, Sugar Hill Gang and people like that, when they first began to really get going, and that, that's, that's rap is still a relatively young art form. But I'll, I'll admit to you right now, there's just something different in my estimation about Method Man. I believe he is one of the greatest rappers of all time. One of the greatest lyricists, one of the greatest uh, MCs, as we used to call them. And everything just seems to be in so control with him. And it's not how he says it, but what he says. You know, he, he says it, and all of a sudden the words have power. And uh, I went with Bring the Pain, Bring the Pain, which I think is the iconic Method Man song. Many of you may disagree, and you'd be wrong. I, I can't imagine there's anything better than Bring the Pain. I, I think it is just one of those songs that as soon as you hear that track, it's just mesmerizing. And then there's just this cool voice just dropping bombs on this track. And uh, I love Method Man, and I don't know if you like rap at all. Even if you're a, a young buck and, like, you're listening to these, you know, studio gangsters of the day, you, need, you owe it to yourself to get into Method Man. You owe it to yourself because, in many respects, it's kind of the history of the art form. Meth has been around forever, and Meth is a guy, too, that just is unlike anybody else. And I don't want to belabor the point, but I just wanted to drive that one home. Even though this is not the number one song, I don't think it would be right – uh, to not have a Wu-Tang track, number one. I wanted to have Method Man in the highest possible regard today. Number one, though, you probably already know it. It's Cream. Cash rules everything around me. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Legendary song. And it's what's so funny is, like, people have, like, that's the thing that just kind of shows you the phenomenon of the Wu-Tang Clan. It's like they'll come up with an acronym, or they'll come up with a saying, or they'll come up with you know, a little catchphrase, and then everybody used it. Other people in music begin to use it to kind of pay tribute to them. It's not that they're ripping them off. They're just saying, hey, listen, hey, I'm, I'm down with the Wu-Tang too. But cash rules everything around me, and uh, everybody talks about it nowadays. There are shirts, T-shirts. There's all this memorabilia and stuff like that because, again, it's just these guys are at a different level. There are a lot of people out there that can flow, a lot of people that can write. These guys can do it all. Incredible performers. Uh, I've never seen the Wu-Tang Clan in person. I hope to someday. I think it would be a, a phenomenal experience. Just to be to have the energy of that crowd to be a part of that and be in the same room 
you know, with these guys that I consider some of the, the lyrical geniuses of the art form, and it, and it truly is, and, and it's a guy that uh, enjoys poetry and enjoys writing those things. In many respects, they have modernized the poetry genre in many respects. And it's not just them, but just rap is an art form in and of itself. It really changed the game in many respects. And I, while you, many of you consider me, hey, Steve's a rocker, which is true, I like a lot of rap music too. I don't like a lot of modern rap, and I guess because I'm getting old. But um, when any time that I'm riding down the road and I put on Method Man, it's easy to feel like that I'm just able to kind of go on a journey. And there's this journey into sound and space and things like that. And the vibe behind the music is just so cool. And um, I kind of feel that same way about Cream too. And so be sure and check it out. Again, it's a little different deal. And uh, we do get a lot of requests for some rap. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. People are like, hey, you know, Steve, I'm a huge rap fan. I don't listen to a lot of rap music. I mean, I, I listen to that part of the show, but... Wish we did a little more rap. And I'll be honest with you, our numbers usually don't do really well on rap, but I don't care about the numbers today. I wanted to do this today to talk about the Wu-Tang Clan. They're just different, man. They're just different. They're In many respects, they're like Public Enemy. They're like NWA. Um, but they're not so over the top, I guess, with some of their political commentary. They're just one of those... They're just one of those bands that uh, everybody in, in, in the group provides something a little bit different. They complement each other really, really well. So if you're not into the Wu-Tang, you need to get down with the Wu-Tang. Um, and, you know, for those of you that are rock fans, you know, Red Man and Method Man actually um, absolutely, uh, featured on the uh, Limp Biscuit track, the uh, Roland Urban Assault Vehicle version. You can find that on iTunes and Spotify today. And uh, I, I think that Method Man absolutely eats that track. Red Man's pretty good, too, but meth is the dude. So there you go. If you have an idea for the top ten list, reach out and let me know. We'll be glad to feature that on the show. Got a lot of great ideas. As a matter of fact, like I said, next week is already kind of mapped out. Monday, we're going to kick it off with a modern rock band that uh, I was really, really into in the early and mid-2000s that was recommended by my oldest son. He goes, hey, have you done this? Well, no, I haven't. And I could put together a top ten list of those tracks very very easily so we're going to do that on monday so we'll get back to some modern rock on monday but you enjoy some wu-tang this weekend and if you've always wondered you know i've always heard about the wu-tang clan but i don't know where to start here's where you start this is where you start and then what you're going to find is like hey i really like that and the next thing you know you'll be listening to like the wu-tang clan essentials on apple music and then you'll be down you'll be glad you did i'm telling you there's a lot of people out there uh, like especially with modern rap, and I know that people are like, oh, Steve, you're just getting too old. You don't appreciate it. Like, I, like I'm not a J. Cole fan at all. I'm, I'm not. 
I like logic. I think logic is good. You know, I, I can run through this because I've got kids that listen to a lot of rap, and so I'm exposed to a lot of this stuff. And I just think that, you know, guys like Method Man are just in a different league than a lot of these younger rappers. I just, I just do. I like some of the younger stuff. I don't like it as much. And I sure don't like it as much as I liked uh, LL Cool J and Run DMC and Cool Mo D and Curtis Blow and uh, Big Daddy Kane. All that stuff was a lot of fun. All right, let's go to the next segment of the show. I've got, we want to talk about some SEC news here as of late. This segment of the show brought to you by your friends at Campus Bookmart. Stan and Man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie. They're going to be with me tomorrow. I'll be there with them at Campus Bookmart signing books. Be sure and come out and be a part of that. Uh, you can find all the details on social media. But uh, I'm going to be there uh, all afternoon. And listen, here's the deal. As long as you guys are showing up and buying, I'm going to stay. It's not going to be a hard and fast deal. But, you know, if you're coming up there, or maybe perhaps you can't make it, but you can be around Sunday or Monday or whatever, maybe call up there and give a phone order. And uh, I'll personalize it for you, and you just go by and pick it up. Save yourself the, uh, the shipping charge. But also, too, you can order other stuff. Order your Mississippi State merch and order your book, too. How about that? Campus Bookmart has been great to me. It'll be great to you. These are great people doing a great job for a great fan base. The latest in Mississippi State merch available at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll save you some cash. Use promo code BSR. That stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, so... You guys may have seen the Jimbo Fisher stuff. You know, Jimbo is all upset about, um, you know, there was an article, I guess it was Bro Bible that wrote it. Not that I'm trying to get those guys clicks or whatever, but uh, Jimbo mentioned them by name and talked about all this talk about, you know, they were funding, you know, some big, um, some big uh, slush fund, I guess, for um, recruiting. And Jimbo Fisher refutes that, is very, very angry. Um, and I, I don't know that I blame him. If it's untrue, you know, we, we, and he said, made a good point. Hey, Texas A&M is one of the greatest places in the country to go to school. You got, you know, the Aggie Network. You've got all this other stuff. And it's like, and people sometimes talk about A&M kind of being cultish. You know, it's a little different. Uh, and they are very much committed to themselves and to the university. And so it is not out of the realm of possibility to think that Texas A&M wouldn't devise a way to make the name, image, and likeness legislation work for them and then use that as part of the recruiting pitch. And it may be indirectly and not under the direction of the coaching staff, but that's not out of the realm of possibility. I don't think – there's nobody that read that story or heard those comments and didn't think, oh, that's completely out of line. There's no way that's happening. And people are like, yeah, I could see Texas A&M doing this. And that's not to say they're doing anything that would be considered unscrupulous. I think the bottom line is is that this is a very organized fan base that is very reliant on each other. And so I could very easily see uh, them find a way to make this work for them. But Jimbo uh, didn't really care for it. He said, hey, we don't have $30 million, We don't have $10 million, We don't have $5 million. We don't, you know. And here's the thing, too. The name, image, and likeness deals are on record. It has to go through through compliance and things like that, right? And so, you know, we're we're dealing with some of that too. As a matter of fact, I'm uh, eventually going to do a name, image, and likeness deal with a current player to help promote the book, right? Um, 
But here's the reality of it is, is like you, you have to go through compliance. Like you, you make the offer, the player then reports it. And uh, if it's not properly reported, it can be considered an impermissible benefit. Does that make sense to you? So it's like, let's say, you know, some realtor in, uh, you know, Bug Tussle, Mississippi, wants to have an advertising campaign with Landon Sims. All right, well, they can do that. And so they make the offer. It is then reported to compliance. Uh, Steve Smith is the guy that handles that from Mississippi State. They go through and check everything out to make sure things are on the level, make sure that everything is, is, is correct and that, uh, so let's say, Landon's eligibility is not impacted in any way and that there is that it has to be kind of a mutually beneficial relationship and it has to be done at fair market value. Well, you know, if all of a sudden you find out that some real estate agent in, say, Biloxi uh, is doing something behind the scenes and funneling money to a player, well, now all of a sudden you've got an impermissible benefit issue. You've got an eligibility issue. And so there are these safeguards that are put in place to protect the student athletes and their eligibility. And so all of that is available for inspection by the NCAA whenever they want it. And there's already some name, image, and likeness investigations that are going on. It's still all relatively new. Now, you can make all the rules you want, and you're not going to be able to build a wall big enough to keep the cheaters inside. I mean, it's what makes them cheaters, right? I mean, the rules only apply to the law abiding. So that's not to say that, you know, and it's a story as old as time, there are you know, boosters out there that are funneling money to players. You just got a vehicle now to do it legally, but it's also, too, you can't do it above fair market value. I mean, you couldn't come up and say, okay, we're going to give this guy $500,000 to do a social media posting for us. It didn't work that way. People would like you to believe that, but it's not the case. Now, does that to say there's not a kid out there just getting some money, funneled to him on the back channel that's doing nothing? You're naive if you believe otherwise. But Jimbo, you know, made mention of like, you know, when Bryce Young, when it was reported that he had, what, what a million dollars in name, image, and likeness deals, and, and I don't believe that. I don't. He may get them now as a Heisman Trophy winner. I don't believe he had them then. You know, the guy had never even played a game. And so all of a sudden when that was out there, like Jimbo says, well, that was okay. And people are like, hey, this is a great thing for the kid. Well, now that we're, you know, now that we're basically a year into this and we're through a recruiting cycle, people are like, wait, this isn't right. This isn't right. We've heard Lane Kiffin uh, come out himself and say kids that are transferring are going to where they're going to get the, mo- the most money. Now, while I don't agree with a lot of things Lane Kiffin says, he's right about this. He is right about this. Now you'd say, well, it's Steve. Ole Miss had a great transfer class. They did. I don't know if it was fueled by name, image, and likeness or not. I have no clue, none whatsoever. But I do know this, is that the state law in Mississippi, like it is in Alabama and some other places, was originally put in place to ensure that the NCAA could not prohibit players from profiting from their name, image, and likeness. I believe in many respects we have overstepped a little bit in the state legislature with the law because we've made it basically where the universities cannot be involved with brokering the deal. Now, you can't use it as part of your recruiting pitch. You can't. Um, But, of course, there's a little gray area with all that stuff, too, like everything else. But basically what could happen is in the event that the law can be tweaked or repealed, and I continue to hear from people in power that's going to happen, that there will be some changes to the Mississippi name, image, and likeness legislation, that what would happen is that they could open the door for a university to say, okay, hey, listen, well, we can partner with our business partners, with our donors. There are people that are business people that contribute to Mississippi State that may have a lucrative opportunity for a student athlete. And so then all of a sudden, not only 
does it open up more opportunities? I think it gives greater control over the process, and I mean control in a positive way, to put in safeguards to ensure that we don't have student-athletes that are being exploited. You know, I shared with you guys, too, a while back, there was, you know, there was some shirts involving some college baseball stuff, and I, I think the kid got two bucks a shirt. I mean, they're selling the shirt $20, and the kid gets $2. You know, guys, you can get a T-shirt printed if you print enough of them and get it made for, you know, six or seven bucks. And then you sell it for 20, you're making 13, 14 dollars. And so then the company itself is keeping 12 and giving our player two. It's not right. I mean, you're buying a shirt with our player's picture on the front because you want to support that player. And then you find out later that the deal is not uh, set up in a way that he really profits the way that he should. And that's where I think university involvement could correct some of that. You would prevent players from being exploited for the financial gain of other people. Um, and it's, it's different in some respects. I mean, just like, say, for an example, you know, everybody that works in the media uses, you know, images of, of players. I mean, you're at a public venue uh, taking part in a public experience. And so, yeah, everybody in some respects has some retail with all that. But it's different when you do something specialized like, a, you know, a, a shirt or when you do a poster you know, those kind of things, I think, are a little bit different, you know. And so I think that's one of the things where the university could be involved in some of that stuff. And so, you know, Jimbo went out, too, and, and called some people, uh, you know, clown acts and, and really never named Lane Kiffin by name, but certainly kind of led everybody to that line of thinking. You know, of course, you all miss people like, oh, he's talking about Nick Saban. Stop, stop, stop. Nick Saban's not out there benefiting from the portal quite like Ole Miss is right now. And that was the plan, if you remember – you know, you go head-to-head with Mississippi State on, what, five players down the stretch in December, and you lose them all, and then the spin becomes, well, we'd always plan to go real big deep in the portal. Yeah, well, of course you did. Get used to it, right? And so they did. And you look at it on paper, and you say, hey, they got a, tr- a great transfer class. Obviously, Jackson Dart's coming. Very, very talented player, you know. Um, and he played as a freshman last year, and I've read some of the stats. He, hadn't, he didn't kill it last year, like some would have you say. But, you know, listen – uh, you know, Matt Corral did a good job at, at Ole Miss, and maybe perhaps Jackson Dart will as well. I think it'll be very interesting without uh, Jeff Lebby. But, you know, Jimbo basically takes a shot at Lane without saying his name and then goes as far as saying, hey, I know how some of you guys recruit out there. Maybe we need to talk dig into some of that. Hey, Jimbo, I mean, the DMs are open, man. Uh, you know, if you've got information about anybody in the, in the conference that's doing something they shouldn't, um, yeah. But all that's interesting. I mean, you know, it's like, so now that this is part of the public conversation among coaches, you know, what happens now with legislation involving name, image, and likeness on a national level? Because that's what we need. We need a national policy. I'm not saying that we need a national law, but the NCAA needs to find a way to regulate this where there is a more of a level playing field. I mean, it's like, say for an example, like you look at the Mississippi schools, not that Ole Miss hadn't always found a way to get around this kind of stuff, but... You know, Ole Miss can't legally be involved in brokering that deal. Whereas, say for an example, if a kid wants to transfer to another state, and I can't, I'm just, just let's say South Dakota, you know, uh, that university could be involved. Not that the state or Ole Miss would ever lose a player to the University of South Dakota. But my point being is that it is not a situation where everybody can negotiate under the same terms. And that needs to be corrected. Now, what in the world's going on at Auburn? Uh, this has been a story that has been in the headlines now for about 18 hours or so. Uh, Brian Harson, you may recall, uh, was the hire, in many respects kind of considered by many to be a desperation hire after Auburn really struggled to find a replacement for Gus Malzahn. And now here we are now, just over a year later, 
and there is discussion publicly by even some people in the Auburn media that the Brian Harson era may be coming to a rapid conclusion. Uh, some articles are kind of beginning to make the rounds. I have went over to our good friends, uh, our Auburn affiliate over on the 247 Sports Network, and uh, my friend Jason Caldwell works over there. I haven't reached out to him, but Philip Marshall uh, has some comments over there just about kind of some things he's hearing behind the scenes that there may be a coaching change on the Plains. It's absolutely insane to think about that. You know, Austin Davis out of West Lauderdale High School recently hired as the offensive coordinator at Auburn. I was in favor of the move. I love Austin Davis. I think he's great. Covered him when he was a high school prospect. Then he goes to Southern Miss and puts together one of the greatest seasons in Golden Eagle football history. Had a great career, a record-breaking career there. And now he's in the coaching circles, and he gets over there, and he's not there anytime. Never even coaches a practice, and he's gone. And so you begin to ask yourself, what's going on at Auburn? Did Austin walk into a situation and get over there, and he's like, I, I don't have to do this. I, I, don't, I don't have to do this. I can go get another job. You've had a ton of people come and go, and then Auburn has basically had more players leave the program than, than they have the ability to sign to replace them. Nearly two dozen players in the transfer portal for Auburn. And a lot of these guys are dudes. You know, Bo Nix grew up his entire life cheering for Auburn. His dad was a quarterback at Auburn. It's been his lifelong dream to be the quarterback at Auburn. He becomes the starting quarterback at Auburn, and then he leaves. If that doesn't send up a red flag, I don't know what does. You have a lifelong Auburn fan, an Auburn legacy, leave the program, who was the starting quarterback. Gets as far away from Auburn as he can get, goes to Oregon. What, what, what's happening? And then every day you turn around and it's a new player in the portal and a new player here. And it's like the bleeding never stops. And this isn't like in Mississippi State where, you know, by and large, a lot of our guys, we hadn't had nearly as many go in the portal, but we've had, you know, some. We needed some to go in the portal, not just for them but for us. But a lot of the guys that have gone in the portal for us are really non-contributor, guys that are down the depth chart that just are seeking playing time. Now, we've lost some. Aaron Brule obviously is, is significant. You know, Teddy Knox, I think, was going to be a player at Mississippi State. But, but Auburn's losing starting players. What is going on at Auburn? It's insane to think about what's happening right before our eyes. You think, okay, well, the coaching carousel is done. Now that Jim Harbaugh is not getting a job in the NFL, everything is done, it'll all settle in. Well, what happens now? Auburn makes a coaching change. Well, you know, they'll have the run of the, the manor to not compete with anybody. There's going to be more dominoes fall, and there's some rumors of what if they go back and hire Kevin Steele. And you remember that was the, the big thing last year. Board of Trustees wanted to hire Kevin Steele, and the, the, the Auburn family revolted. So what happens here? It's incredible theater. And there's a lot of rumors out there. I'm not going to dignify those rumors because I don't know that, that that's true. But there's talk about things kind of away from football that are uh, they're being discussed and that there may be a possibility that they terminate a guy for cause. Um, that's interesting, too. You know, all that stuff is interesting. I go back to the, you know, the LSU thing, like when Ed Orgeron was there, and they had all the Title IX allegations, and he was mixed up in the middle of that discussion. And there were a lot of LSU people working behind the scenes to try to find a way to terminate Ed Orgeron for cause. Well, they didn't. They ended up giving him, what, $17, $18 million to walk away. Wins his final game against Texas A&M, ironically. Rides off into the sunset takes him and his girlfriend down to the beach, 
never has to work again a day in his life. They couldn't get him. Or maybe they brokered a deal. Who knows? But this Brian Harson thing situation is interesting, too. The guy's been there no time, and there are people working behind the scenes to get him fired for cause. And so what, what does that mean? No clue. But it is something that we expect to play out here over the next few days, and even some Auburn insiders are thinking they will have some clarity after the weekend. There was a Board of Trustees meeting on Thursday, and I understand that is not atypical. That that's not, that it was not some emergency meeting plan that they – routinely have these meetings but you know what could happen when we begin to think about recruiting you know Auburn might be facing kind of what Tennessee has gone through these last several years can you begin to imagine being an Auburn fan during the Nick Saban era I mean honestly when every kid in your state with rare exception wants to go to Alabama and you know the ones that are the swing votes want to go to Alabama how difficult that would be. I mean, like State and all Miss, by and large, we usually split kids. You know, we usually get, you know, we'll get some, they'll get some. And there are some old Miss kids and there are some Mississippi State kids and sometimes they make the wrong decision. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that um, what we deal with in Mississippi is nothing compared to what Auburn is dealing with. You're recruiting against one of the most historic runs in the history of college football in your own state. How do you ever get a kid that Alabama wants unless he grows up an Auburn fan it's miserable to think about how that could be. And so what did they do? They, well, they started recruiting Mississippi a little bit more. They got a couple of kids here and there. Hadn't, hadn't really amounted to much over there, but the reality of it is is that that's, you know, that's what happens. And so you, know, you got to think you bring a new coach in from Auburn. Well, they're going to go take the fight to Alabama. They hadn't learned a lesson yet. Well, we're going to go. We're not scared of Alabama. We're going to go get Alabama. And then, you know, St. Nick will uh, we'll discipline that person accordingly. But it's pretty phenomenal to think, you know, what has happened at Auburn, you know, here in the last several years. I mean, Gus Malzahn was a guy that, uh, you know, proved to be a really good coach at Auburn. I mean, was he elite? No, he wasn't. But he found a way to beat Alabama and Georgia just enough. And then the next year they'd go eight and four, you know. Um, He's a guy, the two, that, um, you know, a little bit interesting, you know, a little bit eccentric at times, I guess. But as long as he was winning, people were willing to put up with it. And so, you know, you go back and think, you know, Auburn, when I was a kid, you know, Auburn was one of those teams that you, you always had to look out for. I mean, you had Bo Jackson, you know. I mean, you know, when Pat Dye was there, it was like Auburn was, you know, consistently mentioned among the greatest teams in the country every single year. They were always involved. Always, always, always playing big games. And so the Alabama – Auburn rivalry, the Egg Bowl, I mean, excuse me, the Iron Bowl was uh, was a national level game because those two teams were always playing for something significant, or at least it appeared to be. You know, Pat Dye leaves, and um, you know they have some issues there, obviously. And then Terry Bowden takes over. People forget this in '93, Terry Bowden and Auburn were undefeated, 11 and 0. And you'd say, well, they inherited a great team, guys. They were five and six and five and five the two years prior. They go 11-0, then 9-1-1. So think about that for a second. First 22 games in the Terry Bowden era, they win 20. Things are going great, and then Bowden's gone. They won the Peach Bowl in 98 against Clemson, seemed to be the best of times, and then Terry's gone. 
Bill Oliver takes over as the interim coach. And then you have the famous pine box moment with Tommy Tuberville. And you, you can go back and watch those videos of uh, like the 98 Egg Bowl that we won and went to the SEC championship game. Um, and Tuberville was like quoted by ESPN, you know, hey, you know, I'm going to leave here in a pine box. I'm not going to be the coach at Auburn. And then the next thing you know, he was. Tuberville comes in, struggles for a little while. They finally get it going, wins the SEC in 2004, won the Sugar Bowl, finished ranked number two in the country. Probably could have made a case to be number one. That's the one, if you remember, Tommy Tuberville said, well, you know, somebody will vote us number one. I got a subscription to Golf Digest. And then Golf Digest put their issue out with Tuberville walking out the field and calling Auburn national champions. It's pretty funny if you can find a copy of that. And the next thing you know, things start falling apart. Tuberville's gone. They bring in Gene Chizik, and little did we know that it would be Gene Chizik to win the NFL championship, thanks to Cam Newton. They win the NFL championship. Cam leaves, a generational player, and it's an 8-5 and five year. It's a 3-9 and nine year. The Chiz era is over. Gus Malzahn comes back to Auburn. Very first season. Takes that same group of kids that went three and nine, plays for a national championship. They lose Florida State, finish number two in the country. And then Gus is eight and five, seven and six, eight and five, ten and four. You know, they uh they win the West that year, lose lose a title game, lose a bowl game. You know, it's like it's crazy. The next thing you know, you're eight and five, nine and four, six and five. And so you know, Gus Malzahn, under normal circumstances, might have been the dude at Auburn. The guy never really had that really awful season. I mean, you look back at his record, you know, 2020, he goes 6-5 and five and then, uh, you know, beats Mississippi State and dances in the locker room and gets fired the next day. But the COVID year is the worst year of the Gus Malzahn era. And so he's gone. And so – you know, part of the problem at Auburn, and I say this with as much respect as I can have, you know, they have some donors that are too involved. You know, you remember years ago when they were going to, you know, make a coaching change and uh, was it Bobby Louder and them that had, uh, you know, Bobby Petrino on a plane? It's insane to think about the things that have gone on at Auburn football, and now this is happening. And – one of the reasons that a lot of people said they turned down the job, you know, you hear this privately. There's always this kind of stuff that people talk about, and it's leaked by sources. It's that, you know, it's, there, there is some issues within the Auburn family. There are too many people that are too involved with stuff that want access that they don't want to deal with that. You don't have that at Alabama anymore. You used to. And you know, now that St. Nick is up there running the show, but it's just incredible to me that this is unfolding right here. We just got through National Signing Day, and it, it almost makes you think. It almost makes you think there's something to this. It's like we wanted to get through National Signing Day, and then they don't sign anybody. They don't have a press conference. That you know, um, and then all of a sudden these rumors begin to bubble up that they're about to make a coaching change, and we'll see what happens. All right, final segment of the show. Brought to you by the folks at Portico. No recruiting stuff today. We're going to talk about some men's basketball. But let me. here's the deal. Maybe you've always wanted to live in Starkville. Maybe at one time you lived in Starkville. Maybe you were a student here and said, you know, one of these days I want to move my family back to Starkville. 
And I'll be honest with you, when I lived in Baton Rouge, I loved the fact that my kids had so many options. I loved the convenience of the big city. But when I moved to Starkville, I was glad they had the opportunity to experience all of this. The best of both worlds. I love being here. I know you guys do as well. A lot of great memories in Starkville. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of my favorite memories in Starkville don't involve ball games. They're just great people here. And I believe I would live here even if Mississippi State wasn't here. I love being here. It is a great community full of great citizens that will do anything for you. I know John Cohen and I talked about this a while back, about you know moving to Starkville, and, and this is in Dogpile. He talks about this. It's like you learn to rely on people here in Starkville. There are people here that will help you. You know, there's the guy that will fix your car. There's the lady that will make your birthday cake. I mean, it's like there's all these people that you learn to rely on in Starkville. It, there is no place like it that I've ever lived. I love being here. And that's not to say we don't have some great communities around Mississippi. I just think Starkville's the best. So if you're thinking about, hey, I'd like to live there full time, or maybe perhaps you want a ball game weekend retreat, Portico is the way to go. Very easy to get to, off of 82, on a 12. Take the very first right. You pass that, that turn all the time going to campus. How about you take that turn to go home? It'd be outstanding. If I was moving to Starkville, I would move to Portico. Phase one completely sold out. Phase two now under construction. If you need information, and I'm sure you do, Call our friend Brooks Bryant, former Diamond Dog, 601-416-8075. Brooks will get you lined up because you can start with a two-bedroom, two-bed. Maybe you're looking to downsize. Maybe that's the way to go. Or maybe, like you know what, Steve, I want to have a four-bedroom master plan so I have plenty of room for my family to move as my growing family begins to kind of migrate back to Starkville for ballgame weekends. I want everybody to have a place to sleep and not have to worry with the hotel room. This is the way to go. Portico, a great place to live. You'll be glad that you're a resident of Portico. 1.1 miles from the Mississippi State campus. The convenient side of campus, over there by the neighborhood market. Not on the busy side of campus. Close enough for convenience, but quiet enough to have some privacy. What could be better? Make Portico your next move, and be sure and call Brooks. 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. How cool is that? I just received word, too. Dogpile books are in hand. The shipment has been completed. The books are here. So if you have pre-ordered a book, I will be signing it this weekend. It will be mailed out first of the week. Be excited. Got some book signings this weekend, of course. I'll be at Book Martin Cafe this afternoon from 3 to 6. And tomorrow from noon to 4 at uh, Campus Bookmark. And then uh, you can check social media. I'll be sharing these signings kind of as we go. Let me give you the, uh, the recent schedule just so you guys, if you're in the neighborhood and you're thinking, hey, I'd like to be able to, to go by and see Steve and get a book and uh, kind of be excited about life, and, and you certainly should be. We're going to do our best to help you with that. Uh, you can come see me, get your picture made, get a free hug. There's a free hug with every book if you, if you desire that. So here's the deal. Here is the recent updates to the schedule. Just so you guys know, because I know a lot of you guys uh, like to get out and come to this kind of stuff. And I love seeing you all, too. And as I'm scrolling through my Facebook feed, I got all this stuff here. All these people, they're like, hey, here's what's going on. So 3 to 6 today, Book Martin Cafe, downtown Starkville. Tomorrow, Saturday, February 5th, 12 to 4, Campus Book Mart. Wednesday, February 9th. 
I will be in Meridian, Mississippi from 2.30 to 5 at the Bulldog Shop. That's downtown. Thursday, February 10th, I'm at the Starkville Library from noon to 1. And then that evening, sponsored by Turnrow Books, we were going to be at Turnrow, but they've already had so much interest. This is being moved to the Alluvian. It's going to be kind of a happy hour thing, 5 to 7, 7.30-ish. I'll be there as long as you guys are uh, wanting to talk and visit and sign books. Uh, next Friday, February 11th from 3 to 6, I'll be at Maroon & Company. And then next Saturday, a lot of requests. Steve, when are you going to be in the Jackson area? Well, next Saturday, a week from tomorrow, I'll be at Lemuria Books from noon to 2. They usually do one-hour signings. They're doing a two-hour signing because of the demand. And then that evening, I will be at Persnickety in Madison from 3 to 5. And people say, well, Steve, are you coming south? Yes, eventually. And I will share those dates with you. I think it's important that we uh, kind of keep all that, you know, apprised as you guys kind of know what's going on. Uh, I will be in Columbus, Mississippi for the first time at Friendly City Books. Matter of fact, they're going to start stocking the books starting this weekend. Uh, they'll have all five books there at Friendly City Books. That's a relatively new bookstore. I will be with them Thursday, February 24th, the very first signing I've ever had. Um, and that's going to be from 2 to 4 in Columbus That's uh, next Thursday. And so we got some Tupelo stuff coming up. Um, got a lot of other things that are happening. And so as I, those things are announced, you can check my social media feeds. And, uh, you know, we'll have all that together. Uh, the Starkville event, too, at the library, rather interesting. I've done that a couple times. They'll set up a Zoom call, and uh, we'll visit and talk and answer some questions. Uh, if you want to come by and check it out, they're going to also provide refreshments. And anytime that you can get uh, free refreshments, that's a great thing. Okay, let's talk a little about men's basketball. I remain convinced that this is an NCAA tournament team. We have the talent to make the NCAA tournament. And there's a lot of parity in the SEC, so there are some games that I believe that we can pick off. We probably are going to have to win a game or two. We're not expected to win. And I say that not because we don't have a talent, but it's because at times that we have been a little bit inconsistent. And so there are some times, hey, you know, we're probably going to have a hiccup here or there. Uh, we take care of business against South Carolina, 78-64, arguably Mississippi State's best performance of the year. You know, we coast a little bit down the stretch. You win that game 78-64, but at no point did South Carolina ever feel like they were in the game. Now, this Saturday, we're going to be at Arkansas. It's a big ball game for us in a lot of respects. You know, we beat them earlier in the year. They didn't have their leading score. And you know what? At the end of the day, they, they, they don't put an asterisk next to that anywhere. It's a W. So we're going to have to find a way to, to try to pick up a win this weekend. We talk about winning a game that maybe perhaps people were expecting us not to. This could be one of those. And we're going to have to play very well in Bud Walton Arena. Uh, the Arkansas Razorbacks, 17-5 and five overall, 6-3 and three in the league. They've won seven in a row. This is a team with a lot of momentum, and the fact that they lost to us already, you know they're going to be motivated and ready to go, and they should be. This Arkansas team is very, very talented. We beat them 81-68 uh, back in Starkville in the, the SEC opener for both teams. Since then, they lose, they lose to Vanderbilt the next game, and they lose to A&M, 86-81. So they get off to an 0-3 start, and here's the thing, too, you know, for better or for worse – you know, Arkansas is a program that expects to win in men's basketball. And maybe it's because of those great 90s teams with Scotty Thurman and Cordless Williamson. But they expect to be a great basketball program. They hadn't always been, but they've always been really good. Well, since opening up 0-3 in the conference, they're undefeated. 
They route Mizzou 87-43. They go to Baton Rouge in the PMAC and beat number 12 LSU 65-58. And, of course, Tigers kind of fallen on a hard time since then. Uh, South Carolina, they beat them in Arkansas 75-59. They host A&M, who has been kind of an upstart this year. A lot of people were expecting them to be kind of middle of the pack. They got off to a great start. It's been a little bit rougher as of late. And, and they win that ball game 76-73 in overtime. They go to Oxford, and they beat Ole Miss 64-55, and, and this Ole Miss team is really weird. They're kind of like Alabama. You never know who's going to show up. And then Arkansas beats West Virginia and Bud Walton in the SEC Big 12 Challenge 77-68. They go to Georgia earlier this week and absolutely dismantle the Georgia Bulldogs 99-73. So this is a team – that is probably playing its best basketball of the year. So we're going to have to bring an incredible effort uh, to make this thing happen for us. And, you know, again, looking at the numbers, and a lot has changed, you know, since we saw those guys. And, again, we we didn't see them, you know, with, uh, with Note. So let's take a quick look at, at kind of what's happening for these guys now. It's, uh, it's interesting, to say the least. So J.D. Note – 21 games played, 20 starts, averaging 33.1 minutes a game. This guy's getting it done. 19 points per game. And 19 points made a big difference, you know, when uh, he, he was absent. Uh, Tony, and, and I'm, I'm going to butcher this name. I apologize. I think it's Odiasi or Odiesi. Uh, 11 points per game for him. Another regular starter now averaging over 30 minutes per contest. Uh, also 17 steals on the year and eight blocks. Uh, Umdu Stanley, or Stanley Umdu, uh, the way this is set up, I, I'm, I'm wrong about that, I know. Uh, averaging just under 11 points, he is the final double-digit scorer uh, for the team. Chris Likes is the guy that's the first guy off the bench. Started just two games, played in 22, averaging 9.4 points uh, per ball game. Uh, Jalen Williams right there with him, the same numbers, but he is the guy that has started 20 games, uh, 29.5 minutes of action for him. When you look at this this Arkansas team, they're extremely athletic. If you had a chance to watch them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They will get out and run a little bit. You make a mistake, they're going to put it in the basket very, very quickly. They're a team that plays a little more up-tempo than maybe perhaps that we're used to seeing. Uh, averaging 15.3 assists per ball game, uh, so they share the basketball pretty well. Rebounding, they're plus 6, 38.4, giving up 32.3 uh, on the season. Right at 31% three-point shooting. And, of course, uh, you know, that's the real threat at times with uh, J.D. Note. He's a 31.6% free throw shooter himself. Uh, really good from the floor, but uh, is a guy, obviously, that can hit you from, from deep or drive right by you. Rebounding, and that's what happens when you've got five athletes on the floor is it becomes really much a, a team effort in many respects. Uh, Note is a guy that gets it done on the glass as well. 85 defensive rebounds, 96 total. Uh, the top offensive rebounder for them is uh, Tony. F- uh, 51 offensive rebounds for 117. But the leading rebounder is Jalen Williams. 201 total rebounds, and most of those on the defensive end. So you got to shoot it well against Arkansas because they will get on the glass. As a team, 600 rebounds as a team. Averaging 79.3 points a game, giving up just under 69 points. And I don't know that we won a game in the 70s. I think in order to win this game, maybe we got to keep it in the 60s. You know, but we'll see. We have some games offensively where we will get after you. 
Uh, but we'll see kind of how things progress. Uh, a lot of people have pitched it up from the outside against Arkansas, uh, shooting it pretty well, I guess, at times against them. Actually, the opponents are shooting better from three-point line, line than uh, Arkansas is, right at 34%. Free throws, that's been a bit of an issue for some teams. Arkansas as a team right there at 75%. So if they get to the lane and they don't finish, they get to the line, they're still going to make you pay there. Uh, so that, that's one of those things you kind of look at as well and you begin to wonder. Turnovers, right? They force a lot of turnovers. Uh, Arkansas plus 2.3 in the turnover ratio. 13 turnovers uh, committed by Arkansas, 15.4 by their opponents. Uh, Steals-wise, they're a plus 1.1 there. 180 steals as a team. They've allowed 157. Blocks, about the same. 4.4 blocks per contest. They allow three. Uh, that's where I think Garrison Brooks and those guys uh, have to get up and, and really you know, contend and change shots. Now, so what does this mean for Tolu Smith? Now, based the, the back channel chatter suggests that he's not going to play tomorrow. And we were told he was week to week. You know, he has that sublux patella. And you, we've talked about what that means. Basically, it was a dislocated patella. This kneecap got a little bit out of place uh, in the final minutes of the Ole Miss game. And so he didn't play last week, and he hadn't played so far this week. I don't know that we expect him to play on Saturday. Would we win the game with him? If he's healthy, there's a good chance that happens. Without him, I think it's going to be tough. We've taken some good teams to Bud Walton Arena over the years and come home with a loss. But Ben Howland has actually had the team uh, played pretty well over the years against Arkansas. Not exactly sure why he seems to have their number, but uh, we generally bring a good effort against the University of Arkansas. Now, the next home game for the men is Wednesday, and this is a huge game. It's going to be an ESPN2 game against Tennessee. That's an opportunity for State to pick up kind of a marquee win. This next four games, in many respects, is going to define our season. And three of those four are on the road. And so the opportunity for State to pick up a signature win is right in front of us. If you win at Bud Walton, that's a win that gets some attention. You beat Tennessee, that's a win that gets some attention. You go down and beat LSU, it may not mean what it meant earlier in the year, but it's still a big win. That's a hostile environment for us. And, uh, you know, Ole Miss went down there and proved it could be done. And then we go to Alabama. And so we talk about defining stretches. This is perhaps the stretch in the season that will determine if we are an NCAA tournament or not. There are no gimmies in this quartet of games. You find a way to split these four, I think you can feel really good about State's prospects of making the NCAA tournament because – the rest of the schedule is pretty – kind of favors you until uh, you get to the, the final week. Once we get through this four-game stretch, we're going to play a home-and-home home in Missouri. Those are two games that we should win. Then we'll go to South Carolina. We'll host Vanderbilt. I think State should be no worse than 3-1 and one in that stretch. You could be 4-0. and oh, And that's what makes this stretch all the more important. You pick up a couple of wins here, and let's say you go, you know, 6-2 and two of that eight – all of a sudden, that game against Auburn doesn't mean quite as much. And then you've got to go to A&M, which is a difficult place to go play. But the way that State has proven to be a difficult out on the road, that's a winnable ball game. And so, while State may not be favored in a lot of these games down the stretch, there's still some winnable games. But if we're going to really legitimize ourselves as an NCAA tournament team, we've got to find a way to win a couple of games here in the next couple of weeks. We've got to find a way to make that happen. And these are quad one opportunities. These are the ways to kind of pad your postseason resume. Mississippi State needs some of that. We have won a lot of games that we were expected to win. We've lost a couple of games that we should have won. But the reality of it is we still have opportunities in front of us. 
to make this a pretty special season. I do think if Mississippi State gets in a tournament that we're not a team that people are going to want to see. I think we've got to prove that, though, here over the next few weeks. And I think that this team is capable of doing it. And it all starts tomorrow. That's a 7.30 p.m. tip. So we'll go out and sign books, and we'll come home, and we'll root for the, for the Bulldogs to take down the Razorbacks. Uh, so a lot of people have wondered, well, what happens? You know, do we have to make the tournament? We absolutely have to make the tournament. We probably need to win a game or two in a tournament uh, to really consider this season a success. But that's why we play the games. And as many times as I've said on this show, there are a lot of times that Ben Howen appears to coach his best basketball when our backs are against the wall. I don't know that we're quite there yet, but I think if we go through this stretch right here, um, we're going to probably be an NIT team if we don't find a way to win a couple ball games. I think worst-case scenario, you got to pick off one of these. I think best-case scenario is you get two. You get two, and you can feel good about life. And I think Tennessee coming here, that's a potential win. And going to LSU is a potential win. I, going to Alabama, even though we have at times played them pretty well, the matchup hasn't favored us, especially in Tuscaloosa. So we'll see how things progress, obviously. But uh, the, the first step in a defining stretch in the Mississippi State men's basketball season uh, will take place tomorrow. And likely without Tolu Smith. All right, listen, I'm going to get out of here. If you guys are looking for books, they're no longer pre-orders. They're actual orders. You go to dogpilethebook.com, and you can get Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, Stark Villains, and Dogpile right there. We've been pre, we're pre-selling it for months. It's a real thing now. Matter of fact, when I leave you guys, I'm going to post this show, and I'm going to go lay my hands on that book for the first time in my life, and it's going to be a very special moment. I'll do my best not to cry. I promise you. I'll do my best. It means a lot to me because I know it means a lot to you. And, again, I just feel so honored to be in the position to be able to help tell uh, the Mississippi State story. If you're looking for Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com. You can get T-shirts, hoodies, and an assortment of colors and styles. And uh, very, very grateful for our partners and make that possible for all of you. Well, that's going to do it for today. This time next week, hopefully, we're uh, celebrating a big win or two in men's basketball. And we'll see what happens with the ladies. I mean, I, I think next week could be kind of a defining stretch for them, too. You find a way to win those two ball games, all of a sudden you start feeling like, hey, we're going to have postseason basketball on both sides. Uh, you beat Florida and you lose to Ole Miss, I think you keep the, the possibility alive. But the reality of it is, is if you can stay hot, then you can be hot. All right, until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.